Ready to break free from algorithms, vanity PR, and money-sucking ads? My name's Larissa Worstiak, and I've learned in seven years of jewelry marketing that content is the crown jewel. My agency, Joy Joya, takes a holistic approach, leading with laser-focused storytelling, impactful content creation, and strategic content distribution. This method has worked for the solopreneur, as well as the multi-million dollar company, and now I'm sharing the same systems and tactics with you. Here's to standing out in the sea of sparkle. Welcome to episode 271. As we enter the new year, I'd like to discuss some unconventional pricing strategies that you may want to explore in 2024 and beyond. Many jewelry businesses tend to adhere to established pricing norms, and that's perfectly fine. Some offer discounts while others maintain fixed prices, whatever suits your business model. But today, I won't be addressing these common pricing approaches. Instead, I want to focus on pricing as it relates to attracting new customers and enhancing your marketing efforts. You can continue selling your jewelry at the prices you've determined to be suitable, but I'll show you how to leverage those prices strategically to benefit your business. Later in this episode, I'll be chatting with Hillary from Hillary Fink Jewelry, who we've been spotlighting as a jewelry brand case study. And for those joining our podcast series for the first time this season, I'd suggest starting with episode 252. That way you can meet Hillary and follow her narrative from the beginning. But before we begin that conversation, let's talk about some unconventional pricing strategies that you may not have thought about yet and explore how they can boost your marketing efforts this year. But before we get to the solid gold, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both audio and video, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. You can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you haven't heard... I'm so excited to announce the Joy Joya 2024 Name Your Price Emerging Jewelry Brand Incubator. So if you're an emerging independent jewelry brand looking for strategic digital marketing from Joy Joya, but you're also worried that you can't afford professional marketing support, this may be for you. So we have launched this brand incubator for just 10 brands that will have the opportunity to name their price for professional marketing services. And the goal of this for us is really to make marketing support more accessible for brands that we know have a lot of promise and can get to the next level. This is not a joke. There's no catch Basically, after working in this industry for so long, I've seen numerous brands that could really benefit from additional marketing assistance, but I also see how challenging it can be for them to get the support they need. So if you feel like you're one of those brands and you want to know more about this name your price opportunity, visit jewelrybrandincubator.com. I'll put that link in the show notes, 
But don't wait too long because applications close January 31st. Okay, let's get into today's episode, my sparklers. Today, we're going to explore pricing strategies that can elevate your marketing efforts in the coming year. I won't be delving into discounting, at least not fully. So if that's not in your playbook, no need to be concerned. Instead, I want to provide some fresh perspectives that will encourage you to consider the value proposition and ways to attract new customers to your brand. So the first unique pricing strategy that I wanna talk about and that I hope you consider to some extent in a way that can work for your jewelry business is loss leader pricing. So this is a marketing strategy where a business deliberately sells one or a few products that is either very low or even below cost, but the intention is attracting customers, kind of getting them into the door, and then generating additional sales of other often complementary products. So what would be the goal of loss leader pricing? The goal of this strategy is not to make a profit directly from that item or items being sold at a loss, But again, you're trying to lure customers into your physical storefront or onto your e-commerce website where there they'll be more likely to make other purchases with higher profit margins, either at the same time within the same purchase or later on. So that way you can get them on your email list. You can have them follow you on social media so you can continue to market to them later Loss leader pricing is a tactic that's commonly used by retailers to increase that foot or website traffic, also to boost sales volume, and also to build customer loyalty because people really feel like they're getting a great value, especially on select items. So who would this be right for? Definitely jewelry businesses that sell products with high profit margins that can offset the losses by selling the loss leader. So these high margin items help recoup the losses and generate overall profitability. Also, if you're a jewelry business that's really, maybe you are new or maybe you recently had a drastic change in your business model and you're having trouble getting people in the door. And yes, This can work for high-end and luxury jewelry businesses. Actually, there are a lot of very famous examples for luxury brands like, say, Gucci, Prada, and Louis Vuitton, who obviously cater to people who are willing to spend more money. The clothing they produce is pretty well known as a loss leader. It's a way to kind of get people interested and invested in the brand But the real money that they make is when people purchase things like fragrances, definitely handbags, shoes, and other accessories. And that clothing is hardly profitable, but it becomes an aspirational item that people can wear because they're really excited to show the designer's name on their body when they wear that clothing. So what types of products work really well for this? Well, items that are relatively low cost to make, frequently bought on impulse. So things like add-on items like charms, pendants, maybe even chains. 
these are things that customers would be more likely to add to their cart kind of without thinking twice. Something that has really proven itself to be popular and or a bestseller could make a great loss leader because you as a business, if you know that it's a popular product, maybe you can take steps to streamline the production stage, find ways to have lower production costs. Since you know people will be interested in it, then you can sell it at a lower price. Maybe something you know that people will want to collect and come back for again and again. So let's say you start that loss leader with a chain and one pendant or charm, knowing that to have the full experience, someone will want to keep coming back for more pendants and charms and add to it. So you start them off with that one a bundled product at a loss and then encourage them to come back and add to their collection. What are the drawbacks and challenges of loss leader pricing? So there is a worry that some people might just come for the loss leader and then never come back again, but that's where the work of the marketing comes in and bringing people into your brand, making the other products feel collectible, aspirational, desirable, really developing a relationship with the customer. For a jewelry brand, this strategy can be challenging because as we know, there's typically high cost and lower profit margins associated with some jewelry items, but there are definitely creative approaches to consider. So again, the charms, maybe simple dainty jewelry that can serve as entry price points for customers into your brand, encouraging them to then explore those higher end jewelry pieces. You can use loss leader pricing within a loyalty program. So then customers earn rewards or discounts on future purchases when they buy the loss leader items. You can collaborate with other brands or artists to create unique co-branded pieces that can then be sold at the loss leader pricing and that can generate buzz and draw in new customers. You can create online exclusive loss leader jewelry items that are available only through your e-commerce platform. Then you reach a broader audience and drive traffic to your website. Regardless, it will really be important for your brand to carefully evaluate the financial implications, the long-term customer value. If you're thinking about implementing a loss leader pricing strategy, Again, the goal is not to just sell items at a loss. That's not what we want to do here, but we want to convert these customers into loyal patrons who will make those more profitable purchases in the future and be those really valuable returning customers. The second pricing strategy I want to talk about today is transparent pricing. So if you've heard of the online apparel retailer Everlane, you may have known they've gained recognition for this approach because they have this commitment to radical transparency. And if you're not familiar with them, it may be worth for you to go to their website and kind of check out the marketing message, the really unique message that they've built around this principle, which does resonate with customers who share similar values and who desire transparency in their purchasing decisions. So Everlane, Everlane has pledged to disclose their pricing markups, their suppliers, their ecological impact, 
And that helps address some of the skepticism that people often associate with the pricing of quality clothing. And then in the jewelry industry, this level of transparency is not common at all, mostly because those within the industry, they already tend to have this deep appreciation for the materials, for the craftsmanship involved. But if you do step outside of the jewelry realm, especially if you're engaging online, just look on Reddit in like jewelry related forums or like engagement ring shopping subreddits, you'll find those customers who are somewhat disillusioned with what they think is an artificially inflated price when they're buying jewelry. And maybe these customers aren't going to be your target audience anyway if you sell high-end. It's still important to consider maybe you do want to be more transparent regarding your costs, even if that's just the cost of labor and the time put into making the pieces. It doesn't have to be as comprehensive as Everlane's approach, but integrating this transparency into your customer education efforts could be beneficial. And this is particularly relevant if you specialize in selling diamonds or unique gemstones that may not be widely understood by the general public. The primary goal of adopting transparent pricing as a marketing tool would be to really build trust with customers and then differentiate your brand in a crowded and often opaque market. So when you're providing insight into the cost breakdown of your jewelry products, including things like materials, labor, and other associated expenses, then you aim to de demystify the pricing process and demonstrate fairness and honesty. And this transparency can really help you justify those premium prices for high quality materials and craftsmanship. Then you'll increase consumer confidence and loyalty. So who would this be right for? I would say if you cater to value conscious consumers, so people who really like to know what they're paying for and have a clear cost rationale, Maybe those ethical shoppers who prioritize ethical sourcing, fair labor practices, and sustainability. Definitely educated buyers, the people who really want to know what their piece is made of and what went into the making of the piece. And perhaps customers in niche markets. So those who are shopping for unique or rare gemstones or materials or techniques or designs. And then what would be some drawbacks or challenges associated with this radical pricing transparency? There may be a competitive disadvantage. So if you're revealing your cost structure, it could be easier for competitors to undercut you or replicate your offerings. We all know that jewelry pricing is not so straightforward. It involves various factors, could be like gemstone quality, labor, design. So explaining this complexity in a simple and understandable way can be challenging. And we also know that prices may fluctuate. We know the price of gold and gemstones is always changing. So having consistent transparency under these circumstances could be tricky. The third pricing strategy I want to talk about is having a trade-in or buyback program. So a trade-in program in the jewelry industry involves allowing your customers to exchange their old or previous 
previously purchased jewelry items that they got from you for credit that can then be applied toward the purchase of new pieces. This credit's often referred to as a trade-in value, and that's determined on a lot of factors like market value, condition, the materials. And then customers can use that credit when they're buying a new piece from your brand. So just to give you an example, one jewelry brand I know, they, for their trade-in program, they deduct a 30% restocking fee from the original price of their old product that they paid to make the purchase. And then the remainder amount is referred to as the buyback price of the existing jewelry. And that's balanced when the customer purchases a new product, but that must be at least two times the buyback price. So that's a little confusing, but that's kind of the rules that they have decided on. And you can make this whatever makes sense for you. You don't have to follow that particular model if this is something you're interested in, but remembering what the goals would be. So customer retention. This will incentivize customers to return to your brand for their jewelry needs. Also upgrades, so they're likely continuing to purchase up and spending more money with you. It simplifies the selling process because they already know what it's like to work with your business and they kind of know what they're getting themselves into when they're trading in. It can engage customers. So this creates ongoing engagement with your brand. Customers may visit your website periodically to kind of see maybe what they want to buy next. And it can potentially give you a competitive advantage, a unique selling proposition if your competitors don't have a similar program. So who is this right for? Fine jewelry businesses, if you're selling high-end or luxury items. Definitely if you're selling engagement rings or wedding bands. And perhaps if you sell, if your selling proposition is that you have sustainable or ethical jewelry, because it kind of aligns with this idea of recycling as well. And then what would be the drawbacks and challenges I mean, you can only imagine the appraisal accuracy if you don't have the right resources or team members to assess the trade-in value of jewelry and perhaps even security concerns. So what does it look like for someone to bring back or send back their piece to you? So those are some things to consider. Okay, so I just gave you three strategies. I'm gonna give you one bonus and that's tiered pricing. And tiered pricing is a versatile strategy that can be framed as a loyalty building approach rather than a traditional discounting strategy. It sounds like a discount, it kind of is a discount, but I want you to think of it more from a marketing perspective. So when you have it focused more on loyalty, it can really enhance your jewelry brand's marketing message. So for example, This would involve creating distinct tiers or membership levels within your customer base, and each tier offers unique benefits. So maybe someone at an entry-level VIP tier, people start at this level, this is the baseline pricing for your jewelry, they get access to your regular product offerings, 
But as they move up in the tiers, they might get a certain special kind of pricing, first access, special promotions. It You can kind of decide like how you want the kinds of benefits that you want to offer to each tier. So this could also work really well if you primarily do made-to-order jewelry and you are thinking about doing pre-orders. So having tiered pricing in a pre-order promotion where customers in higher tiers could get exclusive pre-order access or an incentive to buy earlier and kind of give you like a heads up of how much product you'll need to make. So maybe they get special pricing for that. In our upcoming conversation with Hillary, we talk all about pricing, how she approaches setting prices for her jewelry, what helps her feel confident about setting prices, how she correlates prices with perceived value and more. Hey, Hillary, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today about the topic of pricing. Hi, Larissa. Great to see you. Great to see you also. So pricing, I mean, I feel like any money-related conversation can be like difficult and uncomfortable for people. And I feel like in the jewelry industry, I mean, there are like formulas, there's some information online, but I don't think enough people talk very openly about like how they set their pricing. So I'm excited to get to hear directly from you today about your pricing. Yeah, I'm more than happy to talk about it. So how do you approach setting prices for your jewelry pieces? So what I do is I keep a notebook where I write down, you know, every piece that I make, I write down, you know, the the date it's made, um, you know, all the materials used, the weights of them, what the price of the, you know, the gold is that I'm using that time, what the price of the stones is that I'm using, and then I log my hours, and then I have an hourly rate, and then I have a formula that I plug all that into. Um, now that's not, I know that I'm different. I like to make one piece at a time, usually from start to finish. I know a lot of jewelers, they like to make a lot of components components at once and then kind of finish a bunch of pieces at once. So, you know, what I do might not work for everyone. I just love the instant gratification of like making a piece from start to finish and having something finished. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do. And then for um, like small production pieces, I have a little like Google Drive sheet where I put all my quote unquote recipes and the weights of what the gold is for those pieces. And then, you know, as gold prices change over time, then you at least know like, okay, this necklace weighs this many troy ounces and blah, 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 blah. Um, and then you can just increase your pricing as needed. Mm-hmm. How, see, that's kind of interesting to me, the gold price fluctuations. Like when does it get to a point with the gold prices fluctuating pretty much regularly that you feel like, okay, now I definitely need to like change the price of this item? That's a good question because it's just, it's just so hard to know what gold is going to do, especially with our economy right now. And people think that investing in gold is a good idea, which drives me crazy because it just makes it harder for our industry. Um, I just think you have to pay attention. And all of a sudden, like, let's say you are you know, making a new order or you need to kind of like, you know, add another stock item. And all of a sudden you realize, you know, gold is 85 now. And before it was 75, well, you're going to have to increase that price. You know, it's just kind of, you just have to keep good notes and just 
and do it. And then, you know, let your clients know like, hey, I'm so sorry, but these, the price of gold has gone up. And so I'm going to be increasing my prices. Um, a lot of people will do a sale saying, hey, from now until the end of the month, you can get the current pricing on this. And then everything after that's going to be increased 20% or whatever. There's a few different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. So one thing I find is jewelry designers sometimes struggle with kind of setting a price that really values their time and effort and what the creations are worth. So what helps you really feel confident about setting your prices, especially now as you're putting out pieces that are starting to go into higher and higher price points? Well, you know, honestly, I'm not always confident. I just think that's kind of normal with um, pricing. Um, But having that, you know, formula in that system that I talked about previously, it it really helps. Um, You know, and I have clients that, you know, regularly tell me, oh, I really wish I could afford that piece or that, but I know it's worth every penny. So I think people understand that when something is really well-made, something is unique, handmade, one of a kind, that there's higher value to pieces like that. So I think that helps increase the confidence. And, um, you know, I've, I always thought, I think I'm like, just like other jewelers, I've always been like, oh, that's too much. It's too expensive. Um, And then I've had, you know, business coaches or pricing. I've used a pricing consultant in the past and she was like, your hourly is too low. Like your labor rates are way too low. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? So, I mean, I've increased my labor rates, but not for like at at least a year. You know what I mean? So I'm sure there's room for me to give myself a raise too. But sometimes I look at my prices and I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's so hard to know. It is hard too, because like the person making the jewelry is not necessarily like the customer buying it and then pricing is all relative. So like one person can say that's expensive and another person can say that's like perfectly in their price range. So that's Mm -hmm. another challenge as well. It is definitely. I wish I knew the answer to all of that. Definitely is a challenge. Have you ever had any like major reevaluations or overhauls to your pricing strategy besides those like, you know, gold influenced price increases, maybe because of competition or market changes or just different strategies you wanted to pursue? I should probably pay a little bit more attention to competitive pricing. Um, Generally, I don't just because with one of a kind, it's just what it is for for me, at least, you know, since I kind of know like, well, that price is exactly what I put into it. And then with all my multipliers. Um, But I would say the only thing that I've reevaluated and adjusted over the years is my, is my labor rate out of, you know, advice from a consultant to raise it. And then um, I've just become way more comfortable with my, with increasing my final multiplier for direct to consumer And that's just something that all of a sudden you go, well, I started doing that and people are purchasing. So you just, it's, I guess it's one of those things like you have to give it a try, like increase your multiplier, increase your labor rate. If things sell, you just got to stick with it and go with it and and don't, Mm -hmm. don't go backwards. Yeah, that's a great point, too, because not all of this just gets boiled down into like a simple formula and that's it. You have to know, is there 
actual demand for this? Are people still going to buy? Because if literally no one's going to buy, then your formula is not really worth anything. So that's a really good yeah. thing to think about, too. And to that uh in that vein as well, do you ever worry that prices may not resonate with like certain segments of your audience or even your whole audience? And then how do you address that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I started out, you know, five years ago, just working in silver. And so I still have a lot of clients that can, you know, either just rather would wear silver or that's just more of what they can afford. And so I will still make pieces in silver. Um, for them, period. I don't want to leave anyone behind, but I won't lower my, I won't lower prices on gold pieces or pieces with finer gemstones to meet people. I will just create, I'll just create more affordable silver pieces for, for people. Mm -hmm. So as you're moving into like these higher price points, obviously it becomes more important to like really communicate the value, the perceived value. So what are some ways that you kind of share that story, tell about the materials to make sure people understand like, okay, this is why the price is what it is? Mm -hmm. I think photography plays a huge part in it. Um, having photography that's simple and refined and very clear and puts the product front and center. Um, I think that helps a lot. And I think on like Instagram stories where I have time to take pictures as I make something and post as I'm making something and people can see the process, I think it helps them to understand that this is a handmade product from start to finish made by Hillary. Um, so people really find value in that. And then just the fact that something is one of a kind um, you know, if the as long as the craftsmanship continues to be good, and as long as it has that kind of future heirloom feel to it, I think that all of those things have, you know, really help with the perceived value of a piece and then can correlate to the price that matches all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so and then there's some sense. people that won't buy jewelry if it's too low. They just, you know, they'll only buy it if it's really expensive. So it's, you know, like we were kind of saying before. So it's the perceived value is huge for people like that. That's so interesting that people will only buy jewelry if it's expensive. I do know there are cultures that, you know, let's say 18 karat, 24 karat gold, like they invest in in the jewelry because that's like such an important part of their culture and tradition. So mm -hmm. I guess that makes a lot of sense, too. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So we can't talk about pricing without talking about promotions and discounting. Of course, there are some brands that like never do promotions, but that is something you do um, offer occasionally. So tell me about like your strategy and process behind figuring out promotions and discounts. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I would love to not do it, right? Um, because I do think it kind of cheapens a brand a little bit. Having too many sales, I think, really cheapens a brand. Um, you know, I do a holiday sale, whether those are successful or not, it's so hard to know. Um, and the timing has to be right. You know, it's, there's so many things that go into having, that go into having a successful sale. Um, I've also done a spring sale in the past and I really like the spring sale. It just kind of like f f refreshes, like 
just like the inventory, you know, and, you know, sometimes with that, I'll do like a percentage off, or sometimes I'll just be like, these pieces are on sale and what they're marked is what they are. You know, maybe there's just some pieces I just want to see go out the door. Um, and I've seen other designers do like an archive sale. And I think that's another great way to do it. Like these are pieces that have been on the site for a while. Let's move them. You know, it's not really doing anyone any favors by just sitting there on your site. Um, so, you know, like I said, I don't love having sales from the branding aspect, but it is a great way to make some money. So going along with that kind of more challenging discussion of when to have promotions, how to handle discounting, would you say you have ever had any other times when you had to navigate a particularly challenging pricing decision or negotiation? It's generally okay. Um a few years ago or a couple years ago, um, I started working with a new collector and she was going to buy, we were working together to come up with like five custom pieces for the holidays for her family members. And she was going to be, she was going to be spending a lot of money. And um, she kind of was haggling with me on, on some of my prices, which I was like, wait, what? This is handmade jewelry. You know, this is not... You know, but I, but she, she is a huge jewelry collector. And so I know that she knows the prices of jewelry and whether or not she just thought my, what I was quoting was too expensive or not. But anyway, I did give her a little bit of a deal on some of them, but it, I mean, I thought it was challenging just because I thought, I know this woman's, I kind of know her situation and she can definitely afford to... (laughs) She didn't need the discount. Um, But I also know that she was a very important client and I really liked working with her and we continue to work with each other to this day. So it wasn't like it was anything that was really too um, much of like a negative impact. If anything, it was a positive impact overall. But it was um, it was a little it was a little off putting, I guess. Um, But it all worked out. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what we were saying. Like, it's not always just about a formula. Like you're dealing with people and you're dealing with their own like perceptions of what things should or shouldn't cost. And I agree with you. A situation like that can be awkward because you don't want to devalue yourself. But also you have to kind of think beyond that. Well, what's this relationship going to look like three years from now, five Mm -hmm. years from now? And so... It's not easy to like figure that out, especially in the moment when like you have someone literally like asking you these questions or like, quote unquote, haggling with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something I've I've also had to do is explain to people like the way I set stones uses a good amount of metal. It's not just like a small little thin bezel wire. You know, I'm using 24 gauge sheet to set my stones and usually the the metal has to come up over the stone higher to fit the crossbar. So my settings use a lot of metal and I think people don't fully understand that if they've just bought jewelry that's just bezel set stones, traditional bezel set stones or even faceted stones. They don't use a lot of metal. Um, so that is partly what makes my jewelry more expensive is just the amount of metal. And it's so nice that you as the maker can like have those relationships and conversations because that probably makes your collectors value it even more at the end of the day. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot more. They're getting a lot more gold in a piece, you know, otherwise than mm-hmm. they otherwise would be. So what advice would you give to emerging jewelry designers or people who are <laughs> feel shy or confused about pricing and to help them have a sustainable and profitable pricing strategy? Well, I'd say stick with a formula and just use it and be confident about it. Don't be afraid to have strong multipliers. If you think a piece, if you can get more for a piece, even after you've done your multipliers, get more for that piece. You know, I've done that with some pieces where I'm like, oh, I know I can get more for this than just my traditional multipliers. Um, Get more. And don't ever, I would say, don't ever go below Keystone on your direct um, um, markups. So that's two times, right? Two times your wholesale. I would never go below two per- two times. Um, um, yeah, I would just say keep good notes, keep a good log, and then you can learn over time. Be like, if you, even if you're making like a similar piece, you're like, hmm, how much? And it also helps with like estimates, right? So like when you're quoting custom jobs. Um, it really helps me to look back at my notes and be like, okay, this is kind of a similar stone and a similar setting. And you can be like, all right, well, that was this much. And that helps a lot too. So I would just say, use a a formula, stick with it. Don't be afraid to have high prices. I mean, I've had people tell me before that they think my prices can be higher, um, which I'm like, oh my gosh, really? So I just, I think that people, the right people will pay a higher price for jewelry that you just, it's a matter of finding them, right? I really liked what you said, too, about the uh, pricing for custom and how keeping those notes just helps you like shortcut it a little bit because, yeah, Mm -hmm. you don't want to be like reinventing the wheel every time. So I like that you're using that to create more efficiency, too. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's just kind of cool to look back on. Like I've filled up three of these like um, I don't have one with me right now, but like the uh, moleskin Mm -hmm. like eight and a half by 11. I've filled up like three of those over the years. And um, it's just really fun sometimes to look back and be like, oh, right. I remember I made that piece. And (laughs) I remember I worked with that person. And I always put like the name of the person with it too, if it's for a custom order. Um, I just think it's a really cool way to just kind of have a historical record of what you've made too. Absolutely. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks, Hillary. This, I hope, was very helpful to people to be a little more transparent about pricing. And I really appreciate your insights. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope it's helpful as well. What did you think about the interview? Are you excited to follow Hillary on this journey? I highly encourage you to check out Hillary's website, hillaryfink.com, and follow her on Instagram at hillaryfinkjewelry. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Let me know in a podcast review or YouTube comment what you think. All right, let's get into the gold mine. This is a segment of the podcast where I get personal and share insights on entrepreneurship, mindset, success, growth, and all things business. And in this week's gold mine, I want to explore a thought-provoking question. What if you try the opposite? So it's not uncommon in the jewelry industry for brands to look at their peers and try to mimic their paths to success. It's like saying, hey, that other jewelry brand did this, so I'll do the same and expect the same results. But when you limit your perspective to what others in your field are doing, you often end up with a narrow mindset, and then it's really hard to achieve remarkable results. 
I recently came across an ebook by Tim Ferriss called 17 Questions That Changed My Life. And in it, he shared his experience with his first job after college, where he had no clue about selling. He was selling mass data storage to CEOs and CTOs in Silicon Valley. And initially, when he first started this job, like most people probably would, he followed the same routine as his colleagues. So he made his sales calls from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. But as the newcomer, he also had a different perspective because he realized that approach wasn't working for him. And if he was going to keep this job, he really needed to make a radical change to avoid failure. So he decided to step out of the box. He started doing the opposite. He started making his sales calls during unconventional hours from 8 to 8.30 a.m. and then again between 6 and 7.30 p.m. And in the time between, he would focus on sending cold emails instead of making calls. He also decided he was gonna dive more into the technical aspects of the product he was selling so he could talk more like an engineer rather than a typical salesperson, which turns a lot of people off because they can spot that hard sales pitch. And his experiments paid off. And in the final quarter on the job, he outperformed an entire office from their biggest competitor. Now, of course, as jewelry brands, we're not out there cold calling CEOs with jewelry sales pitches, but I think there's a valuable lesson here about trying something unconventional. So when everyone in your industry is following the same playbook, it may seem from the outside like they're all successful because you don't know what happens behind the scenes, but you have no idea what's working, what's not working, what they're frustrated by, what challenges they are facing. And the jewelry industry often relies on established formulas. But if you dare to do something that aligns better with your vision and your customers, even if it's just a short-term experiment, something that's completely unexpected for a jewelry business, you might be surprised by the results, even if they don't show up immediately. And you might also discover valuable insights and motivation for your next steps. So what can you do opposite? What can you do differently? What industry norms have you questioned in the past that don't quite resonate with your brand or approach? I'm really encouraging you to consider trying something completely unexpected in 2024 and wholeheartedly committing to it without fear. Who knows what exciting outcomes and valuable lessons you might uncover along the way. Feel free to drop me a message via Instagram DM, leave a review on the podcast, or comment on the YouTube channel. Let's talk about it. Do you have any questions about today's episode? You can always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're completely new to digital marketing, then you'll want to purchase and read a copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy. Visit joyjoya.com book for more information.